Welcome to The Squeeze, your home for baseball content from opening day to the final out of the World Series. Hosted by Logan Lockhart and Tyler Milliken. Brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk. Yes, that's right. It's The Squeeze. It's presented by Primetime Sports Talk. My name is Logan Lockhart. That right there is Tyler Milliken. It is episode 14, and it's post-All-Star game. Which means now it is pre-trade deadline. Tyler, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, man. Feels good to see the Red Sox uh, kind of get back on track out here. And overall, even outside the Red Sox, the All-Star break, it felt short. But in the middle of the season, when you, when the games just stop like that, it hits kind of weird. It, it's an awkward spot. And it's been a little bit of a headache. You know, there's been a lot of rain delays and different stuff going on. Even some COVID stuff, as we saw, which happened legit right after we finished our last podcast. But Happy to have baseball going on and the trade deadline buzz is getting going and I hope it gets a little crazier. So let's get into the trade deadline real quick here. Now we're going to do a deep dive. We're going to talk about some of the big names that we expect to go and that should go. Okay, because there's always a team that's going to be a little stubborn about letting go of somebody that which we've seen in the past. But um, let's start with Nelson Cruz here, because I think that this is just way too obvious and let's get it out of the way right now. I think as we go on in this show, we'll talk about some teams, depending on how we feel about them and their position of the standings right now will dictate how we feel. But Nelson Cruz, right away, a couple teams off the top of your head that you think would be a fit for Cruz. Yeah, so I'll split it up. So earlier today, and you know, this is going to sound weird, but there were multiple reports that came out about NL teams checking in on Nelson Cruz. And listen, this is a guy who's been played defense since 2018 here. Uh, and I still think it's a long shot for either of these clubs. Uh, but really, the ones mentioned were the Braves and the Padres. Uh, you look at the Braves situation, they have a lot of rangy outfielders in that area. Um, and obviously, with Marcelo Zuna and different stuff like that, he could fill that gap. Padres, we know the connection, AJ Preller. Um, but I don't know. I I can't. It's still very hard for me to see Nelson Cruz going in that direction. Uh, So the way I lean, the Rays or the Blue Jays seem like the really two ideal fits for me. Uh, You look at the Rays, they're getting connected left and right. John Heyman had another report today noting them. You could see him slotted into that lineup where, and obviously they like versatile pieces there, but they have room to kind of push him in and out and he'd be a huge boost to that offense. And then the Blue Jays, Wow. Uh, you think of the idea of adding him to that lineup, and it is probably the by far the most lethal offense we've seen in years. Uh, we know how great Nelson Cruz has been this year. 151 OPS plus, 19 home runs. Um, and Jim Bowden had the kind of report earlier. There's a possibility of a Taylor Rogers-Nelson Cruz package. And you say that to the Blue Jays, that fills a lot of holes. Well, let me tell you something. Talk about playing like MLB the show franchise and then adding Nelson Cruz to the Blue Jays. And then you have the pleasure of figuring out how the lineup's going to look. I mean, where would he hit in that lineup? Do you put him in the five hole? Do you put him in the six hole? Or how about you just clean him up and you put Vladdy at three and, and keep it that way? Springer can go back to leading off. I don't know. There's endless options that you can play around with if Nelson Cruz does, in fact, go to Toronto. But let me tell you something. I mean, the Rays, I think they got to be in on this because, yes, the versatility is one thing. But because they're so versatile, Nelson Cruz would fit like a glove to me. It just makes too much sense. They're one of the few teams that can afford it. Um, Mm -hmm. And we know, you know, they're going to end up losing one of the infielders they've had on the roster throughout the year. It is what it is. Um, And they've used Austin Meadows in that DH spot at times. So it is a little bit of a, you know, they're going to have to make things work. But adding Nelson Cruz to that team and where the Rays are at, 
really so close to closing that gap with the Red Sox and the AL East. And I think it's going to be those two teams battling it out for the division uh, down the stretch here. You throw Nelson Cruz into that mix. It's just, it's the bat they really need in the middle of the lineup to put them up there and say, you know, they're on the same level as the Red Sox. Cause I think a lot of people, at least from my perspective right now, I think the Red Sox have a little bit of an edge on them. Is that the general consensus right now? You know, almost like this is our division to lose. Is that what they're saying in Boston? Yeah. A a lot of people think, especially with the trade deadline coming up that the Red Sox and, you know, Chris Sale, what he looked like at double A a few days ago. uh, You know, people are saying the Red Sox are going to be careful. Yes, they are. But he's at 100 pitches and he's throwing 97, 98 out there. He's going to be at least 85, 90% of Chris Sale. Uh, And if he looks anything close to what he did in double A, my, oh, my. The Red Sox are going to have a real shot to even maybe run away with the division. But we all look at where the Rays are at right now. It's nice to see Randy or Rosarena getting hot as of late, dominating the Orioles. Um, but losing Tyler Glass now was a huge blow to this team. Uh, and while they are really probably not in the market to add a starting pitcher of that caliber, they can add a bat that kind of closes that gap a little bit, hopefully, and gives them an edge in another way that you know they lost when Glass now went down. Back to the Red Sox. When I put Boston and trade deadline together right now, those two words, I immediately think about the north side of Chicago. And I'm looking at Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. This keeps coming up time and time again. For the last three weeks, it seems like, the Red Sox and one of those Cubs. Is that a real thing? And what would Bloom be willing to give up? So I think a lot of people are looking at Heim and they think he's scared to make a deal here. I don't think that's the case. It, there's a difference between being scared and approaching it the right way. He's not going to throw talent just to throw talent out there. This isn't Dave Dombrowski who, listen, flags fly forever. He got the job done, but he wasn't, you know, the lower parts of a deal, you know, when you were throwing in prospects that had, had upside or, you know, people projected forward to, you know, break out. He just threw him in and didn't care. Bloom's not going to take that approach, but he has said, we're going to make this team better. And while we do appreciate Chris Sale coming back, Jaron Duran hopping into the mix, Tanner Houck joining the big league roster, they don't, they're not depending on them. They look at that as all, yeah, it's great, but we need to add to this club still. Uh, I look at Anthony Rizzo. I don't know. I, I'm a little cautious, I, I would say. Uh, since he's come back from lower back tightness, he's hit 215 over the last 15 games. Uh, we know it's been a down year for him overall. And he had a really ugly base running blunder last night. So it, it, things are tough on his end. But maybe that's what lowers his trade value a little bit and gets the Red Sox in there. Um, I don't think his. I don't think he's going to be super expensive. I, I really don't. I think people think of Anthony Rizzo and they think of the guy who was such a big part of those Cubs World Series runs. He's, t- he's regressing. You know, you, you can see it. He's on the other half of 30 at this point. Uh, then you switch over. Craig Kimbrell is the name I keep hearing again and again. We all know the Red Sox or the time he spent with the Red Sox. I just, when I think of Heim Bloom and the Rays connection there, they don't believe in spending big money in the bullpen like that. That doesn't tell me they won't go get a guy, but Craig Kimbrell's old, I believe, $16 million next year. Um, and, you know, he's not cheap this year either. It's going to cost you. And he's the best reliever on the market right now. I think I would see the Astros probably be willing to dish out more because they need that bullpen arm. The Red Sox have one of the best bullpens in baseball. I think you're going to see them go get more of an eighth inning-ish arm. And then Kimbrell probably goes in another direction. But Rizzo, I can't help but say I'm, I'm seeing it over and over and over again. You know what's interesting about Chris Bryant, on the other hand, is that Bryant all of a sudden has turned into this versatile player that can play so many different positions that kind of fits what the Red Sox have been doing over the last year and a half or so. And 
don't you think that Chris Bryant would be a better fit for the Red Sox? I mean, I understand. I don't know what people think of Raphael Devers' defense in Boston. I bet you there's people, the jury's out. They say, no, 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 let's not have him there. So if you want to go in that direction, play Chris Bryant there, or he can go in the outfield. You know, there's options there of Chris Bryant. Do you think Bryant over Rizzo is a fair point to make from Boston's perspective? Uh, no, but you know, I think there's counterpoints. Listen, I, I think way back we had this conversation over the winter, Logan, uh, the Red Sox were interested in Chris Bryant. You know, th- those were real rumors and they were rumors during last season as well. I just think at the moment, Rafael Devers defense, a lot of people who haven't watched the team on a daily basis, it's taken a significant leap forward. Um, he's no longer, his defensive metrics aren't poor by any means. I know the error total is high, but if you look at the plays, he goes, you know, stretching out his range. Uh, he makes a lot of plays. Most third basemen can't. And that's that's where he makes up the difference. So I'm not worried about Rafael Devers at third base anymore. And I'd say the general consensus is he's good, especially since Alex core is back in the mix too. Um, I like Chris Bryant. I just think he's going to be a little bit out of their price range. Devers made a real nice play at third base last night too. As we're recording this, the Red Sox series in Buffalo ended last night. He made a, a real nice play later in that game at third. That was uh, quite impressive. Now, We look at the Red Sox, we look at the Yankees now, and this series that's coming up, and by the time people watch this or listen to this, Game 1 should already be in the books of this series. This is huge. This is massive. I was looking at the standings last night, and then I looked at the calendar, and I'm going, okay, these games really matter. Let me tell you something. I was watching Dodgers-Giants last night, and you can feel it. It felt like a playoff game. I'm anticipating this series to feel like more of the same. But here's why I want to bring up the rivalry, because uh, we saw something last week that I'm sure people in Boston are still talking about and they're not forgetting. Right. Um, This whole idea of, quote unquote, we hate the Yankees, the Yankees, this, the Yankees, that that's got to really be coming back in the souls of some people in Boston because of last weekend. And now you see the Yankees are playing a little better. How big at Fenway Park? is this series and really the atmosphere that we should expect. It's going to be intense. Uh, I'm telling you right now, listen, tempers were flaring last weekend and that got kind of overshadowed by, you know, the Alex Verdugo getting hit by a ball, by the rain issues, by the umpiring in the series. Um, But really the Red Sox, they were so frustrated uh, about that last series. And you could see it, just the anger, the frustration, uh, especially in the last game of the series where the Red Sox sat there and they kind of pouted throughout the entire game. You could see it. They were unhappy with the umps. They were consistently going back and forth with them. Um, And then look at what happened in the Blue Jays series. The Red Sox came out and they were looking to prove something. And they did it as they've done all year long. But the Yankees, especially being, you know, kind of snake bitten with COVID and everything right now being a you know fourth place team for them to do what they did to the Red Sox there was some frustration there uh, and it was obvious so I think the Red Sox are coming in to trying to make a point the Yankees know with the week coming up to the trade deadline their season's on the line here if the Red Sox come out here and sweep this four game series it's done yeah and listen that's not me saying they won't go and make a deal to go get someone but anyone who's being realistic here You get bodied here by the Red Sox. Your season's just about over. Um, I I think tempers will flare. And I can't help but think when Nate Evaldi uh, started his, you know, against the Yankees last time out, uh, he hit Gary Sanchez and I believe it was Rugnet Odor. Uh, They were angry. They were not happy. Uh, So I'm expecting some stuff to really pop off in this series. Well, the Yankees need to come with the same fire that the Red Sox had against Toronto. You know, the Red Sox took out all their frustration on the Blue Jays, especially offensively, you know, just pounding on Ross Stripling 
in that game one, you know, it, the game was over after the first inning. They, they were frustrated and it was evident and they took it out and it was Toronto's expense. Yeah. Listen, what was it? Eight runs, I believe in the first yep. inning there, three home runs uh, just to kick things off. And if you heard like the Boston media after that Yankee series, they were getting thrashed. People were crapping on this Red Sox team, calling them frauds, all this different stuff. And I'm like, Please, like, breathe. It, it was a really wonky Yankee series, but the previous two series they played, they had lost two out of three. So I, I guess I could understand where the frustration was coming from, but this Alex Core squad, they do not lay down like that. And I just, I look where the Yankees are at. They've won nine out of 12. We see the story, but what's happening right now, I feel like is more of an indictment of everything that's gone on with them than anything. Uh, you got Ryan Lamar, Greg Allen, and Esteban Florel all, you know, outperforming, you know, Ryan Lamar with the walk-off. He has a 930 OPS over here. Greg Allen has a 1250 OPS. And uh, Florio, he's only played three games, but he has a 1232 OPS. That This stuff isn't, it's just, it's fool's gold. If you're buying it and hoping this is what's going to happen, I don't know what to tell you. But the fact that these guys are sparking this team and the superstars on this roster haven't been able to all year, that tells me all I need to know. I do agree with you. I will say this. What did we say about the Yankees for the first part of the season? They're not athletic. They don't play good fundamental baseball. A guy like Greg Allen has kind of shifted that narrative by himself. And I think that's really needed. So they're playing a different brand of baseball. They went to extra innings against the Phillies last night and they bunted. Uh, And it was Glaber Torres who bunted him over. So they are playing a different brand of baseball. and, And that's key, right? They just weren't playing good baseball. No, and that, that's exactly it. It was just poor fundamentals. It was mm-hmm. right-handed batters go up and try to hit a home run. That's the whole name of the game and poor defense. Uh, you know, the guys they brought in, they're speedy guys. They're athletic guys. You know, Greg Allen has three stolen bases in five games. People, Yankees fans are on their, you know, out of their seats clapping because they're taking bags. This is the problem with the Yankees. And it, it's an indictment of what Brian Cashman has done with this roster and how poorly he's failed to recognize what they needed. Uh, Aaron Boone not recognizing what kind of baseball, you know, you can't just go out there and say hit home runs. It's just not a plausible approach, but it's nice to see the Yankees doing something right now and actually being competitive. Uh, I just have a feeling this series is going to really put them back in their place. There's five words in baseball. I think I've heard as much as any five words in sports this year. And it is the Yankees are poorly constructed. And we can talk about Brian Cashman and what he's done and what he's done for a while now. You know, I mean, there's really kind of the same approach that he's run this team. But you're seeing guys light a fire under uh, the team and they're coming from AAA. Right. And a Greg Allen who's swinging the bat. Good. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Is he going to like swinging at Fenway? I don't know. Here's the thing. This is such a big series for the Yankees because they're so depleted in the outfield. They already were because Aaron Hicks is out long-term. So I now go to Joey Gallo, the Texas Rangers. This is a a Joey Gallo who is swinging the bat real good going into the all-star break. And the Rangers have lost nine in a row. They lost today again against the Tigers. And Gallo, yeah, he's got another year of control. So you are going to pay. To get Joey Gallo, this is not necessarily a rental. Are the Yankees in a position to do that? And if not, what other teams around baseball do you see fit for Gallo? I think the Yankees are the number one fit by far. And listen, this is the kind of deal, and I'm not trying to be dramatic here when I say this. 
The Yankees have to make this deal. This is the way Brian Cashman can correct so many mistakes the last few years. Uh, Not only are you getting a guy in Joey Gallo who hits from the left side. We all know the Yankees uh, have taken only 692 plate appearances this season from the left side. That's the second lowest in the majors behind the Blue Jays. Uh, And then their 16 or 615 OPS from the left side is the worst in the American League. You play in that Yankee ballpark where you have the shortest right porch in all of base in all of baseball. Uh, and we see Glaber Torres has been doing great things with it recently, but you add Joey Gallo to that, that swing alone, you know, that kind of approach will go such a long way for the lineup. And then you double up on it. They need outfield help so badly. You have a guy in Joey Gallo. Who's one of the best right fielders in baseball. You can put him in center field. He'll help, you know, fix this problem, at least for next year, partially as well. I don't know how they don't jump on this. And I know they've been connected to Starling Marte. I get it. Joey Gallo is a better fit overall. He fills too many holes for them. And we've seen the reports. Uh, There's a lot of scouts right now uh, from the Ranger side at Yankees minor league games. They need to get this deal done. And if they don't, I'm looking at it as another, you know, bad mark on Brian Cashman. If I'm Brian Cashman, I make the deal 100%. Now, if the price is right, you know, I'm not going crazy and giving up the whole farm firm. But let me give you the counter argument and let's see what you think of it. Joey Gallo is exactly the kind of player that's hurt the Yankees over the last few years. He strikes out way too much. Yes, there are limitations at the plate and he does give you um, value in the outfield defensively, but he does have those limitations. And yeah, he's a left-handed bat. It's a, it's a paradise at Yankee Stadium for a guy like Joey Gallo. But that kind of bat and what he brings has hurt the Yankees. What do you think of that? I think it's a fair worry, right? But I think the Yankees are in a spot here right now where, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, Listen, no matter what you get here, you're getting some kind of flaw. If you want to lean Starling Marte, yes, it's great. You know, it's another right-handed bat. You know, so where are we really feeling here? Um, I think with Joey Gallo, you just need a different look. And we know strikeouts are part of baseball. That's what the game is today. But we've seen how great Joey Gallo has been the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I just think it checks too many boxes. And of course, you know, you can bring that strikeout worry there. Um, but you still got to look at it. You still have a guy like DJ LeMayu in that lineup who should take a big step forward in the second half. He's going to need to if the Yankees are going to go where they need to go. But they need athletic help in the de- or in the outfield that can help that defense. And they need a left-handed bat. I, I just don't see a better fit. It may not be the perfect fit, but it is, I think, the best fit. He won't get pitched around as much in that Yankees lineup. Of course, in the Rangers lineup, that's why he's drawing so many walks. But with that being taken into account, if him not being pitched around, how do you see Joey Gallo as a player then? You know, if he's hitting ahead of Glaber Torres and he's hitting behind Giancarlo Stanton, you know, how do you think that fit would look? I think, yes, the left-handed bat is a fair point. But other than that, how do you see the fit? Yeah, I think it'd be a good one. I think you put him in that ballpark. Joey Gallo is going to do damage one way or another. And I think another thing is, Joey Gallo is a guy who feeds off a lot of electricity. I think Rangers fans have seen that, especially when the team is playing well. He often rises right to the top and is the main reason. You put him in the middle of a playoff race in Yankee Stadium, I think you might see Joey Gallo take it to another level. And I think the Yankees, one thing I got to give them credit for at times is they're very aware of their players' limitations and what they're good and bad at. Uh, We've seen it with Giancarlo Stanton, not rushing him back into the outfield. You know what I mean? Um, And I think they could use Joey Gallo and play up to those strengths by no means. This is not the kind of move. I think that propels them into even a playoff team, in my opinion, but if you're looking for the biggest needle mover, I think it is Joey Gallo. 
how much would you give up? I mean, let's give a general perspective. We don't need specific names, but this is around baseball. I'm not just talking about the Yankees here. Are you talking about two mid-tier prospects within one's system, or are you going at A-ranked, a big-time arm? I mean, you do get one year of control. So we kind of got to put a price on Joey Gallo here, and I'm curious around the league of what other executives are saying. Uh, listen, I, I think if I'm the Yankees, I don't really hesitate too much. You already have one of the worst farm systems in baseball. Yeah, you know, I believe I think it was ranked in the bottom three by Baseball America. So they have enough middle tier prospects to get the done the deal done here. It's not going to be a huge haul by any means, even with another year of control. I, I think the benefits outweigh it. The farm system's not going to make a drastic jump one way or another here. It's just, it's already not great. So capitalize on it you have a window here this window it's getting tighter and tighter by the day uh and realistically you could argue that after next season they're going to have to really take a step back and reevaluate if you want to try and save this window and do something with it i think this is the way so i'd be willing to meet their whatever they're asking for i don't think it's going to be ridiculous but uh and i don't think there's a ton of suitors overall across major league baseball that are going to be lining up for joey gallo i think there's just a few spots that work well I agree with you. And I, I've heard the Padres being yep. thrown out there a lot now, but the Padres seem to come up whenever we mention a player. Though, I mean, even with Nelson Cruz, they're in the NL and they still come up for Nelson Cruz. Now, I, I agree with you because I think Hal Steinbrenner would absolutely agree with you. And I think it's fair for what you're saying. Um, you know, I think it benefits the Yankees that we've seen guys from AAA come up right now. And now it's like a showcase. So look at the guys we got, you know, they can fill in, they can do that. Esteban Florial's a guy who is at one point um, a lot higher, higher ranked within the system, 10th ranked prospect in the Yankees system right now. But, you know, a guy like Davey Garcia, can he be a guy that goes to Texas? So there are names that they do have. Yeah, I think those names right there, you're not going to see a top of the line prospect that that's just not what trade deadlines are anymore. We learned and listen, the Yankees have the perfect example with Glaber Torres while Glaber Torres hasn't, you know, hit the ceiling. We all imagined that trade taught so many lessons to so many people uh, never to kind of engage in a way like that again, where you're selling, you know, one of the best prospects in the sport for this isn't a rental in this case. It has another year of control, but even something like that, you don't sell it off in that way. So I think the Yankees have enough middling prospects to do that, especially guys that are closer to the majors that really haven't got an opportunity because the Yankees don't have much flexibility with their roster. Yep. And you think about the Clint Fraser trade, another one, Andrew Miller going to Cleveland. And there are a lot of examples of it. Uh, of course, you know, Willie Calhoun going to Texas for you Darvish. So we can go down the list. Absolutely. Now, we talked about the Cubs a little bit, but we did it from a Red Sox perspective. Let's look at Baez, Rizzo, Bryant. Let's take those three right now. Which one is most likely to not be a Chicago Cub past July 30th? I'd put a tie, I think, between Bryant and Baez. I think it's no surprise on the Javier Baez side that we found out he wanted a $200 million contract over the last week. It's sorry, you're, you're not that guy, pal. You're not. Uh, and I, I hate to throw that. I like Javier Baez as a player. He hasn't been that in years. Uh, so I look at the Cubs. Listen, if I'm them, I know I'm not going to pay him. So he's not going to be here. We need to get something for him. Uh, so I, I think he, we haven't heard a lot about him, which is kind of weird to me in potential spots, but I could see him going to a team that's almost middling, uh, that kind of maybe even like the Reds, for example, uh, that, you definitely should sell, but they're not going to, it seems. And they kind of pay out something on the cheaper side for Javier Baez, but at least the Cubs get something in return. And with Chris Bryant, I don't know. I, I'm, 
I think he's going to get dealt, but this hamstring fatigue issue that's popped up over the last few days is very weird. Um, even the way David Ross has kind of talked about it, but I think Chris Bryant to the Mets still makes so much sense to me, especially with Francisco Lindor out right now. Uh, it just allows them to kind of get some versatility and do some things that they haven't been able to, uh, and I look at, I think of that Reds Mets game the other day and the back and forth they had going into extra innings. They need some help there. And those other NL East teams look like they're trying to feed on them. Absolutely. We talked about the Braves last week. And then what did the Braves do right after we recorded? They went out and got Jock Peterson. So the Braves aren't necessarily in sell mode and see you next year kind of thing. I think the Braves do have a window that they want to capitalize on. And you said it right in there. We hear a lot about Bryant. We hear a lot about Rizzo. We don't hear a lot about Baez, do we? And I find that really interesting. I also think there's a potential that when free agency does come, some of these guys can sign right back with the Cubs because why not? They can get guys in return. I've heard, I heard this on ESPN the other day. They said, you know what? Yeah, you can trade them, but they're part of Chicago. They always will be. Eventually, they might circle back and become Cubs, um, especially a guy like Rizzo. I mean, he's a franchise player for them. Now, the Reds, they're interesting because they're in this weird phase. They're operating unlike any other team, I think, right now because they're not rebuilding. They're not retooling, but it's resulted in relative success on the field, and they're kind of in the hunt right now. They do need a middle infielder or a corner infielder, depending on how you look at it. Baez would work. The NL East, though, and this is where we're going. This is, to me, intriguing at the trade deadline the most intriguing because the Phillies clearly need a boost somehow the Braves maybe not necessarily gonna sell maybe some guys but they're gonna kind of be in that in between and the Mets have been depleted all year and they have a real potential here to win the division who do you see making the biggest splash and really separating themselves because from day one Tyler no one has separated themselves in this division I think it's the Mets. Steve Cohen is not going to stand by here and look at the Mets are, they have some real issues. Uh, Jacob DeGrom's elbow. Wow. Uh, listen, uh, I'm not trying to say this is going to happen, but if I got a notification tonight that he needed Tommy John surgery, I would not even flinch. I'd be like, oh, all boy. right, you know, but to see this many elbow problems, this many, you know, him coming out of starts, all this different stuff. It's bad. This is not good. And there's a lot of executives around the sport right now that are saying, when was the last time you saw someone deal with problems like this and it didn't lead down this pathway? Uh, And listen, that would be as big of a blow in the sport as you could have imagined. Um, We all know how great Jacob deGrom is and the Mets need him if they hope to go anywhere. But on top of that, Francisco Lindor injuring his oblique at this point in the season, the last thing they really needed. Uh, You even go beyond that. Carlos Carrasco rehab start. Absolutely awful. Gives up three home runs in an inning and two thirds. Not what you were hoping to see out of him. Taiwan Walker, a guy who had a great first half. He's scuffling right now and he's starting to look a little closer to the guy we viewed as Taiwan Walker. Um, you know, they have Jared Eichel who had started a game for them recently and just got DFA'd. Uh, Robert Stock, 2020 Red Sox reject. Uh, you know, another guy who just, you know, come in, start, get out. Uh, so, they're in trouble and it was a great start from Marcus Stroman yesterday a lot of credit to him they needed that but they need help and they need it now the Mets are treading water until they make a big move and I'm not talking about you know let's say they acquired Jock Peterson that wouldn't cut it I'm talking about a Chris Bryant 
or one of these guys. Until they do that, they're treading water in this division, which has actually been okay for them. But that's not going to get you to where you need to go, especially when it's like September 5th. I don't expect it to stay like this. There's going to be another team in that division. They're hungry. They're going to take over. Yeah, we see with the Phillies, Dave Dombrowski has kind of sent out the message. Listen, I'm willing to do some things here. Uh, they see themselves as a you know potential shot here. Like you mentioned, the Braves are kind of just like, eh, you know, let's see, right? L- l- let's see what happens here. And we know the Nationals and Mike Rizzo aren't backing off. They have Steven Strasburg right on the brink of coming back right now. You know, there's no inclination they're trading Max Scherzer either Juan Soto who we talked about last week has been the best player to start the second half just hitting bomb after bomb uh so I think the Nationals have some life there I I think they're going to make a little bit of a run here um but if I'm the Mets I'm looking for a starting pitcher maybe with a year of control uh Kyle Gibson who has not looked great the last few times out but he kind of fits and checks a lot of the boxes they need right now Yeah, the Nationals aren't going away. They're the one team in the NL East that we never really talk about because we always assume, ah, their window's done and they're going to kind of revamp what they have there. It's not happening. The the Nationals have pieces, and we talked about it before the season started. When you have a pitching rotation like that, you're going to kind of be in it. That's exactly what's happened. I want to go to the AL. I want to go to the opposite coast. And the Seattle Mariners, who are in the mix right now, they really are. Check out the standings, ladies and gentlemen. They're, they're right in the mix. Um, is this for real? Because a lot of the issues that the Mariners have right now are exactly the issues that we would say, you know what, that's why they're successful. If, if, if it went in a different direction, it hasn't happened. Kyle Lewis is injured. Kellenic has really not been the guy that we thought out of the gate. And that's why I look at Nelson Cruz, a return to Seattle, Maybe if they are for real, it depends on what you think of the Mariners. What do you think? I think first off the next week will be very telling, but I think with the Mariners, what they have said again and again, they view 2021 as the last year of a rebuild. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to not, they're not going to outstretch themselves here. Do they go get a piece? That's maybe like a, here you go, guys. Here, here's a little bit of a boost. You know, nothing substantial, nothing crazy. Um, you look at the run differential. I think they're like negative 50. They're right around that area. So I think, they, they had a lot of luck, a lot of different things going their way, but they're doing a lot of the right things as well. This is definitely, you see the upswing coming here. This is a team next year that will definitely make a big jump. But I think the Mariners, you look at Nelson Cruz, I think it's going to be a little bit above their pay grade. I expect them, if anything, maybe to get something in that kind of Jock Peterson-esque range. Mm-hmm. And that's always the bar, I guess, since Jock Peterson went to the Braves. Man, the Cubs wish they had Kyle Schwarber, didn't they, right now? Uh, That would be a good trade chip, wouldn't it? Uh, Wow. What a tear he was on at one point. Uh, Quickly here, let's go Rogers Center. The Rogers Center baseball, what you wrote earlier, Rogers Center baseball returning, not the Blue Jays are returning to Rogers Center. Yeah, you miss those blue seats and you miss those home runs going out of that park. They're going to cap it at about 15,000 in Toronto. It's not going to be a full packed house. I think moving to three different cities, and this isn't my words, this is Ross Stripling. He said this, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to move to three different cities in a season. Moving to one is unprecedented. Moving to two is crazy. Moving to three, I mean, come on. What, what do you think of this move to move to move all season long from a neutral perspective? 
I think it's the most, it's the least talked about storyline in baseball that should be on everybody's mind and recognize what the Blue Jays have had to go through. Uh, you know, not only last year, but you know, this year, especially in a 162 game season, and they have not complained about it. They have been so professional again and again. And I give a lot of that credit, not only to the maturity of that young roster, um, who, you know, a lot of young guys, but they don't act like young guys. Uh, the, you know, these guys who obviously grew up with big league parents and different stuff like that, you see the major league attitude, but Charlie Montoyo and what he brings to that dugout as well. He is not a guy who's here to complain and cry about things. Uh, so I look at the Blue Jays. I think going back to the Rogers Center is going to do a lot of good for them. Get to just be comfortable, not to have the constant thought in your head of when are we leaving Buffalo? When, like, when are things going to switch here again? When can we actually have somewhat of a normal routine? Uh, you know, like every other baseball team in you know the entire sport right now. It's not easy stuff. And listen, watching those games in Buffalo, credit to what they did to get that ballpark to work. It's not a major league ballpark, not in any way on multiple levels, whether you want to talk about lighting, whether, whether you want to talk about just the size, how the ball carries, it's not fair. It's not realistic. Um, you know, when you see just about every fly ball start to carry out and end up, you know, 50 feet behind the fence, it's just, it's not right. And we know how great the blue Jays lineup. They're not going to miss a beat going to the Rogers center. Um, so I think just, and with their pitching woes playing in a ballpark like that just makes it worse and worse and worse. Now they'll be in somewhat of a better environment. It's obviously much better than Buffalo. We know it's still a hitter environment by no means is anyone doubting that, but I think getting out of Buffalo will definitely help them. And their run differential is one of the best in the sport. And that doesn't get talked about enough. So I'm expecting them to surge in the second half. It's not a major league park in Buffalo, just like Dunedin, right? Oh, and yesterday, oh, du- you didn't like oh, Dunedin. No, that was the worst thing I've ever seen in a major league yeah. baseball game. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Yesterday, though, when that wind started blowing, so George Springer hits a home run, and then the next at-bat, it's Teoscar Hernandez, and, you know, it just looks like a fly ball. And then that goes, and then they said on the Blue Jays broadcast, I don't know what they were saying on Nesson, but they said, you know, once that wind starts blowing, it's over. I mean, forget about it. Um, back to the maturity point with the Blue Jays. I think this is really important because it's something that we can all talk about and it's almost like talk, talk. Yeah, yeah, they're mature. I saw it though in that first game against the Red Sox. They were down, it might have been 11, nothing at this point. Um, I don't remember who it was on the Red Sox, but he hits a ball that looks like it's going into the gap. George Springer in the outfield in an 11, nothing game just lays out cuts it off, limits that batter to a singer, a single, excuse me. And when it's an 11 nothing game, you know, you expect effort from George Springer. But then in the next half inning, you see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. busting it on the basis, end up scoring a run. And then the Blue Jays start a rally. They don't care what the score is. These guys are going to play their hearts out. They don't look down. They don't put their heads down. They don't pout. They don't do this. This is a mature ball club, and I want people to realize. And for all the people that didn't watch that Blue Jays-Red Sox game, I don't blame you. It was 11-0 at that point, but I was watching it, and I saw a very mature Blue Jays team play until the end and not even care about what the score was. And listen, let me tell you, even though the gap was there, it always felt like, listen, they're one inning away. One yeah. inning, and this game will be right back to where it was. Uh, there wasn't a point in that entire series, no matter how great the Red Sox offense was, that you didn't look at the Blue Jays and you were nervous. And you looked at it in the dugout when they came around and they were scoring some of those runs to close the gap a little bit. They were fired up in that dugout. They weren't sitting there and like, all right, you know, 
we're still down five, six, seven runs here, like, you know, eight. <laughs> Let, let's just kind of get through tonight. No, that's not what this Blue Jays team is. And I think that's why you got to give a lot of respect to Montoyo and what he's been able to do for them. And George Springer, you know, and I think when you go back to that trade deadline conversation, you had another guy in Nelson Cruz to that kind of clubhouse potentially. It goes a long way. Um, but I think the Blue Jays lineup, we know they're one of the best in baseball. And this they're not going anywhere anytime soon. I think the second half, they're, they're going to make some noise. If you're expecting them to fall out of this race, you're mistaken. It's interesting you say that. It really is. Because I'm looking at a team like the A's, right? It's like we don't talk about the A's. We talk about the Yankees making a push here. And the Blue Jays potentially, well, you know what? We all expect the Rays to be in there. We expect the Red Sox to be in there. Well, now we're forgetting that the Oakland A's are looking pretty good to be in a wild card game. So that's going to push one of those teams out. So you know what? The Blue Jays, they really got to have a good second half here. Um, their season, to me, is also on the line. Uh, they're in New York. They play the Mets next. Um, it's interesting with the Blue Jays. You know, it, it's one of those things of, it. you know, the lineup's so potent, but they only have 48 wins. Well, I wonder why. We know why right? It, it's Easy. Just, it hasn't come together. Yeah. It really hasn't. Mark Shapiro said, in light of the Blue Jays returning to Rogers Center, he said, if we can get to October, and if we can win the last game of the season in Major League Baseball, it would be the greatest story in the history of the game. And he's kind of got a point. But he's also got a point in the sense of, you know what, this team, they're not necessarily there right now, right? They're, uh, they're a piece or two away, especially on the pitching end. That's why it would kind of be a miracle if they did end up in October winning it all. Yeah, let me preface it. What I just said, I do expect them to go add a legitimate arm to this mix. Um, They have to. They don't have a choice here, uh, especially in the bullpen. Uh, You know, if they don't go that route and they don't make those necessary moves, which all signs point to them doing so, uh, then then that's a real conversation. But uh, listen, that comment is very fair. Uh, What I the best ever, I don't know. Uh, But would it be one arguably the best story we've seen in a long time? A hundred percent, considering everything they've gone through. I just, when I look at the Blue Jays and the A's right now, I think obviously the A's have played much better uh, in terms of, you know, the wild card standings at this point, they're right there. But I think the Blue Jays, they could easily close that gap. And while the A's, they have the good things going for them, you know, some of it, worries me I don't I don't know how much you can depend on it down the stretch here you know you got guys like Elvis Andrews who've been playing much better recently uh and kind of showing some life who uh, you know I was calling for his retirement yeah. in, uh, in April and May so I, I don't know we'll see and the other thing with the A's we've seen them get banged up at times and things kind of catch up to them very quickly especially with a guy like Ramon Laureano uh so let's see it play it out I just ultimately I think the loss of Trevor Rosenthal for the A's this season could end up really killing them down the stretch it's funny. We did our studs and duds from the month of May. And then I wrote the column, the weekly column on primetimesportstalk.com. And I included Elvis Anderson there, um, kind of recapping what we talked about. And we kind of ripped on Elvis, didn't we? Oh, we, we murdered him. We really did. And, uh, you know, it was sad. It was sad. But uh, he's really turned it around that I'm happy for Elvis. Uh, he's a good player. And it, it would have been too soon, really, if he completely fell off a cliff here. So good for him. Now, let's have some fun before we wrap up. Predictions, Yankees, Red Sox, because to me, this is the series of the weekend in Major League Baseball. I'm going to tune in for every game. And uh, I really wish I was in Boston this weekend. I'd love to catch a couple games. Uh, That's how excited I am and looking forward to this rematch just one week later. That's how it should be. Rivalries like this, bring it back right away. Predictions. 
I think the Red Sox go in there. I'm expecting them to take three out of four. I do think the Yankees will get a win in there, but I think it'll be the kind of moment in the season where the Red Sox show really what the gap is between them and the Yankees. And I think a lot of it goes back to this last series where the Yankees had no problem showing some emotion, uh, especially in some tough moments uh, with the Red Sox and the Red Sox just being very frustrated, visibly frustrated. I think they're about to take out a lot of what you saw against the Blue Jays on the Yankees. I'm not going to call out any members of the Boston media, but let me just say the Red Sox won that first game of the series for nothing. Funny how people forget that, right? And then they were no hitting the Yankees five innings into that game. And then the rain happened and this and that, and the Yankees got a key hit. And that was the end of it. They didn't even play nine innings. So what was the panic mode all about? I'm not quite sure. I'll tell you, it's the people who want, who don't want to buy into this team because of Heimblum. Uh, There's a, I would tell you probably 90% of this market has a serious problem with Heimblum and where the Red Sox are going. They want to dislike everything they do. Uh, They want to go and say, you know, they're cheap. They're Tampa Bay North, uh, Dodgers East. I don't know how those are, you know, bad things. I I look at those as compliments, if anything. But that goes to show what the knowledge is and the perspective of, you know, a lot of Boston media. Uh, So whatever. Let, Let them keep thinking that way. They're trying to cling to their garbage preseason predictions. Get over it because they're none of them, all of them stop talking after these two Blue Jays games. They just shut up right again. Well, let me tell you this if the Yankees continue to have disappointing finishes to their season, they're going to start going in that direction as well. I really do believe they will. Uh, don't be surprised. I'm not saying full out raise. Okay. I think that's a little extreme, but they will incorporate some of those methods that Heim Bloom has incorporated with the Red Sox. Um, and I can see the Steinbrenners doing that as well. Not to the extent of Tampa Bay. Let's not get crazy. Tampa Bay North, okay? Uh, that's a little crazy, don't you There's think? There's still a top five payroll in the sport, but exactly. let's, not, let's not talk about that, right? Because it doesn't exactly. fit the narrative. Yeah, let, let's just not look at the payroll list. Let, let's not do that or compare it to the race, right? Exactly. There's a big gap there. That is the squeeze. That was episode 14. If you're watching, it's on YouTube. And if you're listening, it's wherever you get your podcast. Just search up the squeeze. My name is Logan Lockhart. That right there is Boston's own Tyler Milliken. Tyler, final words. Next time we talk, will be one or two days before the trade deadline. So it's a big show coming up next week. Yeah, listen, uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous to see how things play out, but... It's been very quiet over the last couple of weeks, but usually see a good number of deals leading up to the deadline. I think a week from now when we come back, we're going to have a lot, a lot to start talking about here. I hope Yankees fans don't start coming after me for suggesting that they'll go into a uh, Bloom's direction here, but hey, that is take notes. <laughs> take, take notes. Take notes, please. I bet you uh, some Yankees fans have come after you from time to time. I, uh, yeah. Listen, when you, <laughs> if I was a Yankees fan, I'd be mad too. Look at what Garrett Whitlock and Adam Ottavino are doing right now. Exactly. Exactly. Rule five rejects, I guess we'll call them. Um, that's the squeeze. It's episode 14. Have a great night and we'll see you next week.